Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. speak and may we listen in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. St. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 24, which we just heard, is the gospel reading for the first day of this month. And it speaks of the 72 disciples returning to Jesus for what we in this institute might call it is a positive tale of achievement by the 72 disciples and a cause of jubilation. They have been sent out to do the work of healing that Jesus did. This was a practical preparation for the time when he would be gone and when they would have to do it themselves in terms of both the motivation and the delivery. And they returned to tell him that their mission was successful. This gives us a picture of disciples as apprentices, even more than of disciples as pupils. And it is a happy occasion. Jesus encourages them to slow the pace to cool down, and to take the longer view. But he does so in a kindly way. He assures them that he did indeed see Satan overpowered and overcome in what they did. He encourages them to keep going, to give and to give again, by telling them that there is no point in resting on their laurels. And he suggests that their achievement is a signpost on the road to full responsibility as apostles. More important by far, he tells them, is their rejoicing in the recognition that their names are enrolled in heaven. Their discipleship then is developing fast from one of being called to one of moving and being moved through occasional apprenticeship to sustainable apostleship. This pathway is something in which fully to rejoice. The process has started and they've made a great goal of it. What we learn from all of this, I would suggest, is that there is a further horizon, a vocational yardstick, if you like, beyond individual and successive attainments for followers of Jesus now as then. And I'm going to suggest that this needs to be the frame in which all of our contemporary efforts are to be faced. The horizon 
within which the 70 live and work is that their names are enrolled in heaven. This is not an individual prize. This is a shared inspiration and gift from God. Celebrate, certainly. Move on, definitely. Stagnate, definitely not. Now at this point in the Gospel reading, the tempo changes completely. What we hear next sounds rather like the sort of thing we expect to read in St. John's Gospel, not so much in St. Luke's Gospel. Esoteric, <coughs> requiring a spiritual concentration far and above the regular Sunday morning congregation. A few verses of theological nectar holding together the Son and the Spirit in a prayer to the Father. And all of this is being said in relation to the time during which the Son still walks the earth as the child of Mary. It is part of a public affirmation of the disciples in front of the crowd. Jesus definitely is saying that they did what he himself did. He bases this on the assurance to them that they are the ones to whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father. In the language, perhaps, of a more developed theological way of thinking, they are in communion with the Father in the Son through the Spirit. And such communion is the way and the goal of Christian discipleship and belonging with God on earth as it is in heaven. And if you read on, later in a more private conversation with the disciples, Jesus underscores the delight there is to be had in the privileged status of being friends of his, status that God has given to these disciples through the Spirit. This is a rare and a special moment of revelation as generosity, of generosity as communion, of communion as empowerment. It is the sort of spiritual energy that we need to recognize and to harness in order for our discipleship to become apprenticeship and for our apprenticeship to become agency. And this is what the Institute is about. This is what its community life is about. And this is what its commitment to study and prayer on the part of staff and of students is about. We get the chance to experience communion like this as progressively and through shared teaching and learning we move in discipleship from vocation through apprenticeship to apostolicity. Today's scripture then 
invites us on one level to take stock of our ministry. But on a more fundamental level, it invites us to engage afresh with our baptism. While we might indeed think we've left this far behind, that this happened when we could not think or speak or act for ourselves, the bedrock of baptism is the basis of the church as a response to the presence of Christ in the presence of people. Baptism gives responsibility to those who are baptized. It also gives a capacity vested in those who are incorporated into Christ and who know Christ and who are known by Christ and through him by the totality of the Trinity. One of my predecessors was once a patient in the Mead Hospital and was visited by the then Dean of St. Patrick's Cathedral. They were long-standing friends, and is, as is often the case with friends, long-standing sparring partners. <laughs> the Archbishop asked the Dean, do you know what day it is? And the Dean replied, Tuesday. The Archbishop then said, do you not know that it is the anniversary of my consecration? And to this, the dean replied resolutely, it matters not a whit the day you are consecrated. What matters is the day you were made deacon. <laughs> now, while I appreciate the ecclesiological integrity of the reply of the dean, I, in fact, disagree with them both, because it is the day you were baptized that matters. That day is the day of incorporation in the body of Christ, through incorporation in the death and the resurrection of Christ, being plunged into the waters of death and being raised to new life. This is the definitive thread of connection between lay and ordained members of the church and their shared apostleship into the world that is never shattered by the bindweed of clericalism but is embraced and empowered by God the Holy Trinity. One thing in particular rings out from St. Luke's version of the life of Jesus and of evolving discipleship and it's this. We need to take confidence from carrying out what we are asked to do. We need to keep before us the perspective of the bigger picture in our hearts and before our eyes. And we need constantly to practice moving from learning to doing in our vocational response to the gift of God <coughs> in his Son, Jesus Christ. Vocation ceases to be a novelty. It becomes a way of being and a way of doing. Such a response centers on the invitation to go and do what Jesus once did. 
in whatever ways are possible in our own day and are consonant with our obedience within the church. The language we use has changed. The ideas and the invitation remain very much the same. We are all together in this apostolic tradition. <coughs> Hierarchical life is static. Discipleship challenges static belonging by transforming it into dynamic being and dynamic witness. Acts chapter 7, verses 54 and 55. This touched them on the raw, and they ground their teeth with fury. But Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, and gazing intently up into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at God's right.